can panic attacks get better? Yeah, generally I think I think they can. Yeah, it can be overwhelming. It can be uh, debilitating. But I think that there is a lot of hope. And in this episode, I want to you know go over some concepts and some techniques to help you with coping with a panic attack and also anchoring yourself in your safety state during, before, or after a panic attack. I want to help you to grow from these challenging experiences so that they're not as challenging next time. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a therapist, coach, and the creator of the Polyvagal Trauma Relief System. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken, where I teach you how to finally get relief from trauma using clear language and practical techniques. This podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. I'm over on justinlmft.com. I have a new blog that came out today called, well, it's the same title as this, Mastering Panic Attacks, Coping versus Self-Regulation. I'm going to cover a lot in this episode, including how panic attacks connect to the polyvagal theory, what coping is versus grounding and safety, and what the heck to do about all this. So first off, panic attacks and the polyvagal theory, uh, well, it fits right into the polyvagal theory. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, head on over to episode 101. You must listen to episode 101 through about 109 and then come back to this because that is a very deep and very free dive into the polyvagal theory. I make it easy to understand episode 101 through 109. But basically the polyvagal theory is the science of connection and also how we respond to danger. And I'll say just for now, basically that we can exist in either a safety state, our bodies can be in a safety state or in a defensive state. So super briefly, uh, way not detailed at all. Uh, I know it's way more complex, but just for our purposes here, that's it. So let's take it one step further though. And that is understanding the defensive states of the polyvagal theory. There are two primary defensive states and one secondary defensive state. The two primary ones are the flight and fight sympathetic. Actually, that's, that's the first primary. It's the sympathetic state, which is flight and fight. The second primary state is the dorsal vagal shutdown state. And the one mixed state is the freeze mixed state. So think of flight fight as mobility and think of shutdown as immobility. Flight fight is movement, shutdown is non-movement. And it's, act, it's possible to have both of these states, these primary defensive states active at the same time. And when they're both active at the same time, that equals freeze. And that's the mixed state or a secondary state, okay? So freeze is basically when your body's prepared to mobilize. So it's in flight, fight, flight or fight. But also while it's mobilized or while it's prepared to mobilize, your body is also immobilized at the same time, okay? Mobile while also immobile. Prepared for mobilization while immobilized through perception or through uh, force. And that might include being, or that probably will include as far as panic attacks go, being activated or being uh, prepared to escape and to run. So if you're in your activated flight state, but also immobilized, that results in panic. That's a panic attack. With these polyvagal states, it's not just like thoughts or feelings, but there's autonomic biological reactions that you go through no matter what state that you're in. And when you think about what it's like to be in a panic attack, you'll notice that there's all kinds of autonomic shifts that happen. 
And these are directly connected to the autonomic shifts of your polyvagal state or the autonomic experiences of your polyvagal state. So here's a short list. I have five of them. Uh, first one is heart palpitations, which is a feeling of rapid fluttering or pounding heart. The second one is sweating. You should know what sweating is, I'm assuming. The third one is shaking and, and or trembling. It's often in hands and legs when you have that like adrenaline spike, you might feel you know those shakes in those areas. Number four is shortness of breath or feeling smothered. And this is like a sensation of being unable to breathe or uh, feeling like pressure on your chest or like, or like you're being smothered and you can't breathe. And the last one is chest pain and that's discomfort or pain in the chest area. And this is where it's more of that pressure kind of feeling. And this oftentimes can be related, uh, mistakenly understood to be or assumed to be uh, like a heart-related kind of issue. And hey, maybe that is what it is. That's up to you and your, and your doctor. But I'm saying when, when it comes to panic attacks, that it may not be like a heart attack. It, it might be panic. Okay, so we have a basic idea of the polyvagal theory and these autonomic states and these autonomic shifts that are happening during a panic attack. So now let's shift over to understanding the difference between a between coping with a panic attack and actually grounding in the polyvagal safety state. And that's the biggest difference is when you're grounding in safety, you're actually accessing your body's potential for safety. When you're coping with a panic attack, you're not necessarily accessing your body's uh, safety state, polyvagal safety state. So these are, these are very different, and I think accurately understanding the difference is going to help you to plan out what to do about this the next time to set yourself up uh, potentially with more success. So coping is like tolerating. It's tolerating a panic attack, and it's just trying to get through it by reducing the intensity of it until it stops. So with coping, you're not truly grounded or accessing your polyvagal safety state. Coping could be distracting yourself with TV or phone, snacking on something, uh, reading a book, or getting reassurance from someone nearby. Now, obviously, some of these, if you're in a really you know, intense panic attack, reading a book probably is not going to do a whole lot. So you might do different things based on the intensity of what you're going through. So coping is like dealing with or managing. You're just, you're just getting through it. The goal is to reduce the negative impact of what you're going through. Okay, and the, the pains of it. And that might be totally fine. And the ideal way of coping might be through distraction. I'm not sure. But if you just want to get through it, then distraction might be the way to go. And so there's no mindfulness here. You're not welcoming the discomfort. You're not mindfully feeling. You're not closing your eyes and mindfully experiencing it, right? It, you're distracting yourself. You're just getting through it. And that is completely okay, by the way. There's totally a role for this. And there might be, it might be needed. So getting through that panic attack through coping, totally fine, but then learn from it and hopefully set yourself up with um, something different next time. And I'm hoping that it can involve actual safety grounding. With polyvagal safety grounding, you're actually accessing your body's state of safety. So it's more than coping. It's like that next level. And I would say it's more difficult, but it actually does involve some mindfulness and actually attuning to what helps you to feel safe, what anchors you in your safety state. So examples of safety grounding might be going for a mindful walk and noticing your surroundings. It might be feeling your muscles moving as you release your panic energy through movement. It might be using your senses to connect to the present moment. Safety grounding is not easy, but practicing it helps a lot. So if you're brand new to this, if this is like a new concept to you, then you're, you're probably not going to be able to utilize it. 
the next time that you have a panic attack. And that's okay. You need to do a few things before you can realistically anchor yourself in safety, even during a panic attack. And those few things would be to experience your safety state. And maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you have like no familiarity with your safety state. So just getting acquainted with it, that's your first step. The second step is to figure out what brings you to your safety state again. And then the third step would be to keep practicing uh, being in your safety state uh, regularly, like daily. And then as you practice accessing your safety state, you build up the potential to be able to do it again and again and again. And yeah, even during an escalating panic attack, when it's not too much yet, even during something that like raising your uh, a higher level of anxiety or stress or overwhelm, even during this, before it's a full-on panic attack, you can anchor yourself in your safety state. So as you strengthen your safety state, the defensive activation of anxiety and overwhelm and stress and even panic becomes more tolerable. You're not going to ever enjoy it, but it becomes more tolerable. And as defensive activation becomes more bearable or tolerable, you'll have more capacity to feel these panic attacks coming on before they are full-blown panic attacks. And, you know, it's frustrating uh, when it comes to accessing and anchoring in your safety state traumatized individuals are probably going to have a harder time with that, or they, they will. Their their ability to access their safety state is just lower. Um, otherwise, if they could access it, they wouldn't be traumatized anymore. Trauma really is the inability to access your safety state and to stay anchored in there. Current inability, I, I fully believe that these things can, can change. Let's go back to this idea of identifying the early signs and taking action, because a, a panic attack can be triggered like rapidly and it seems like it's out of nowhere. And a lot of times with my therapy clients, they'll say it came out of nowhere that it was like truly random. But when we really look at the situation, typically we can identify the trigger if there was one, but also we can identify that maybe the trigger was something benign. Maybe it was something really small, but there was a whole bunch of stuff leading up to that in the day before and the day before that. So it might be like a bunch of small events that were individually stressful, but as these compile, they become more intense in the system, in your body. They become more and more overwhelming. And then that panic attack might trigger just from that one more thing, whatever it is. What I'm inviting you to do then is to recognize the potential for a panic attack as early as you can. And then when if you can do that, then you can immediately reduce its intensity uh, even when there's like slight dysregulation, just immediately do something, not to cope with it, but to anchor yourself in safety and actually eliminate it altogether before it becomes overwhelming. Like if you notice a panicky freeze energy building up, you can engage in more like active strategies like walking around the block. And this might be enough to you know, get that early panic onset to, to get some relief from it and to actually ground yourself in your safety state. We want to do this early on during the buildup to a panic attack. This is when the emotions are probably more manageable, uh, but more importantly, you have more access to your safety state. So once it's a full-on panic attack, you have very little access to your safety state, and it's probably more of a coping, time to time to do some coping, some managing, right? But when you're le- in, during the buildup to the panic attack, that's when you actually have more of your safety state accessible and there's, there's more to work with. So check in with yourself regularly. 
do your own self-assessment, just check in with how's my anxiety right now, my stress, my overwhelm. And also, and I, was, I would encourage you to prioritize this, practice feeling your safety state, experiencing your safety state mindfully. So if you can successfully do this when you have some anxiety or a little bit of panic or some overwhelm, if you can successfully anchor yourself in safety, even in the face of that, then when you have a full-on panic attack, it might be less intense. It might last less long or have a shorter duration than the last time. And, you know, eventually you may actually be able to welcome and invite that anxious feeling, the stressful feeling, the overwhelmed feeling before it becomes a panic attack. You might be able to invite that panic flavor and actually feel it and do some active self-regulation. But of course, practice being in safety when you don't have those anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, or panicky feelings. Practice being in safety before there's a problem that's way more important. Now, if you have to use coping skills, again, totally fine. Just just get through it, right? But you can shift from coping to uh, actively grounding yourself in your safety state. So once the panic subsides, right now, you what you might be doing is going to sleep and waking up the next morning and hoping for the best. Or you might, you know, the, the panic energy might lower and you just keep using your phone. What I'm suggesting that you might try to do the next time is that once that initial panic dysregulation subsides, once it lowers, then shift your focus toward actively grounding yourself in your safety state. So coping is the first step, but the goal is to go beyond that and really be more proactive about your ability to be in your safety state, to recover from a panic attack that you just coped with. So once the intensity goes down, don't just like leave it. Don't just cross your fingers and hope for the best the next time. You got to do some recovery. And that means accessing your safety state. So do something to decrease that activation further because it probably still is a little bit there. So for example, if you if you typically use your phone to numb the panic, stop doing that once the panic activation has has lowered enough. And don't just ignore what you went through. Instead, what I'd invite you to do is give yourself a pat on the back. Like you made it through it. Good job. Great. You successfully managed a panic attack, right? But then do something to help yourself recover. So let's take this to the next level. Let's say that you you uh, successfully got through a panic attack. You've coped. And now it's time to recover. This is where I want you to use safety anchors to reduce whatever lingering panic attack energy is left. But you could also use this during the buildup to a panic attack. It could be really useful then as well. I'm going to break these into two categories, and those are passive safety cues and active safety cues or active safety anchors. The passive safety cues, these are things that you set yourself up with ahead of time. These are things in the environment that you get ready. So these need to be ready to roll before the panic attack. So this would be like setting up the right lighting or the, the right the lighting that feels the best for you. Having the right sound or lack of sound or just noises, uh, right music, or maybe a scent that you know uh, helps you to reduce your panic uh, level. So you could use these during a panic attack to help reduce the intensity of it. This might be like just something that you take in passively. I would really recommend these are things that you have ready ahead of time, okay? You should also be familiar with what passive safety cues bring you to safety well before your panic attack. So I want you, like right now, you're probably not in a panic attack. I really hope you're not. (laughs) 
So right now, if you can, as long as you're not driving and stuff, right? If you can, like, ask yourself, what helps you feel safe? What helps you to slow down? What helps you to breathe a bit easier? And if you don't know, then uh, use your senses. What do you like to look at? What do you like to taste? What do you like to smell or feel? Maybe there's a texture that you like to feel or hear. You know, maybe my angelic voice is a safety anchor for you, but maybe it's not and you got to go find something else. But basically, don't don't wait for like a full-blown panic attack before you figure out what works for you. Okay, figure out what, what, what works for you like as soon as possible before a panic attack and then have that ready to roll uh, well ahead of time. So those, those are passive safety anchors. The same basic idea as far as knowing what works ahead of time that also works for active safety anchors. But these aren't things that you just sort of set up and walk away from or that you just have going on in the environment. Active safety anchors are things that you actively do to ground yourself in safety further. So sunshine might be a passive safety cue for you. You don't have to, you know, do anything. You just got to, you know, be in it, right? But walking might be an active safety anchor. So exposing yourself to sunshine is phenomenal. That's passive. But then walking in sunshine, that might be even better. So you can mindfully experience what it's like to walk. You could also mindfully experience what it's like to walk in the sun. And there's a whole bunch more potential uh, active safety anchors that you could use to ground yourself in safety. Singing might be your thing. I can't stand it, but I can't. I like to listen to singing, but I don't like to sing. At least not with people around. Yoga, art and creativity, journaling. There are tons of things you can do to actively ground yourself in your safety state. But again, you you kind of have to know what those things are ahead of time. And then when, as you build up to a panic attack, this would be a really good time to use these. Or if you're recovering from a panic attack, that would also be a really good time to use these things. Let's take this one step further and ask a tough question, which is, should you also feel your feelings during a panic attack? And the answer to that is, if you can handle it, sure. If you cannot handle it, then probably not. So I think you should feel your feelings if you can handle feeling your feelings. Meaning, yeah, allow that defensive state activation, including a panic attack, when you can tolerate it. There, I think there is such a point where it's, it's too much and you are in a full-blown panic attack and it is beyond your ability to feel your feelings. You know, at some point it's just it's too much and you just got to get through it and you got to cope. If you can allow some level of panic, maybe as anxiety or overwhelm, or stress, if you can allow that and feel it without being further dysregulated, yeah, then go right ahead. For me, the dividing line is if you're curious about what these things feel like for you, so if you're curious what mild panic feels like or anxiety, then you might be able to allow mild panic activation to be present. Curiosity to me is a really good indication that you can feel your feelings. Other signals could be interest, self-compassion, patience. If you have access to these things, that's a, that's a pretty good indication that you can allow some defensive activation to be there and then use your self-compassion and mindfulness and patience to really feel what's happening inside of you. But on the other hand, you should not feel your feelings if you can't handle them. Meaning you should probably not allow panic to be present if you're going to spiral deeper into dysregulation as a result. Some signs that you cannot handle feeling your feelings include unwelcome or intrusive cognitions like flashbacks, uh, thoughts of self-harm, thoughts of self-judgment, 
if you can't yet feel your feelings and allow mild panic activation, that's completely okay. That doesn't mean that it's going to be that way forever. That's something that you can develop. Uh, yeah, even for panic activation, you can develop that skill or that tolerance level, but maybe it's just not time right now. I fully believe that panic attacks can get better, but you have to strengthen your safety state to improve your panic attacks. As you build the strength of your safety state, defensive activation decreases, okay? So basically your, your window of tolerance or your distress tolerance widen or strengthen. That means you can allow more defensive activation without dysregulation. To be able to make that happen, mindfully experience small amounts of anxiousness to improve, eventually to improve your panic attack. So when you have that lower level panic activation, like mild to moderate anxiety or stress during the buildup to a panic attack, that would be the time to notice it. That would be the time to mindfully experience it while anchored in your safety state. If you could do that, that will help you to further strengthen your stress tolerance. No, this is not an easy process and it's not a short one either. It does take work. It does take dedicated practice. But these two elements are key to success in emotional regulation, including panic attacks. And that is number one, practice being in your safety state and building your distress tolerance. And number two is to mindfully allow tolerable dysregulation while anchored in your safety state. If you can do those two things and practice them, then that will lead to more success in emotional regulation. That'll lead to a wider uh, distress or a window of tolerance, uh, a stronger vagal break. So these are the large goals and I, I know it seems like it's impossible and that's why I created courses for you to teach you exactly how to do this. I have two courses that teach you how to do both of these things. The first one is called Building Safety Anchors. This course teaches you how to identify safety, how to experience it, and how to strengthen those safety pathways. And the second one is called Unstucking Defensive States. That one teaches you how to actually mindfully allow and experience your defensive states without overwhelm. That's, that's really important, without overwhelm. So let's just say you can only dedicate yourself to one course that's gonna make the most difference starting today. I would recommend Building Safety Anchors. Learning to anchor yourself in safety is the key to reducing your panic attack intensity and frequency. And not just panic attacks, but just overall emotional dysregulation, the, uh, the intensity or the pains of your stuck traumatized state. Building safety anchors really helps to lower the intensity of it. And yeah, it's also the foundation for further trauma work, recovery work if you're headed in that direction. So if you want to eventually directly feel your stuck defensive state, including, you know, anxiety, panic, anger. If you direct fear, if you want to eventually directly feel these things and get unstuck, building safety anchors is, I mean, it's the foundation for it. You have to be in your safety state to allow those other things to happen. I do have a nifty gifty for you as well. And that is my three-day polyvagal state challenge. In three days, I'll send you three emails. Or I'll send you three emails in three days with instructions, a brief lesson and then instructions on how to feel all six of your polyvagal states, the three primary and the three secondary, in really easy ways, I think day-to-day -day easy ways that you can notice and experience your different states. This is going to help you build more of a reference point for all these things. It'll help you get to know yourself a lot better, in my opinion, and it'll set you up for further 
you know, mindfulness work or unstucking work that you might be planning on doing. So I have a link for you in the description. Just follow that, sign up for my email list, and you'll start getting those emails uh, immediately. Thank you so much for listening, fellow Stuckna. I do hope this episode has been and will continue to be a helpful resource for you in uh, learning about and applying the polyvagal theory to your trauma recovery relief journey process. (laughs) Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you are experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only.